Hello, church family. Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Legrand Sunday morning service. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us, and I uh, just want to thank everybody that's been so helpful throughout uh, all of this time. It's an unusual time. And I uh, just want to ask you to join me now in prayer for our time in worship, and then we'll get into the Word. Father, just thank you, Lord, so much for this time for our church family, God, and ask that you would just bless and use this time now to uh, embolden us, Lord, to love and serve in your name, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who is so big and so infinite. And even when we are far apart, um, or even when our routine is different, God, your Holy Spirit has no limit. And I pray that your Spirit would really unify the body of Christ. Our body at Calvary Chapel, as well as all Christians all over the world, Lord, in this time that seems really unsure, um, that your Holy Spirit would be so strong and such a comforting presence in our hearts and among the body of Christ, just unifying us. Thank you so much, Jesus, for giving us the opportunity to still be able to connect to one another. And I pray that during these songs, God, that we would all just have our hearts refreshed and set clean before you, God, as we prepare to hear a message from our pastor. So we give this time to you today, Jesus, in your name. Amen.
we're so grateful to know that in the midst of anything in this world, Lord Jesus, that you're near to us and that you're bigger and greater than it all, Lord. We cling to that. We praise you this morning. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, everybody, and welcome uh, to this this um, Sunday service. want to just uh, let you know that we are so grateful for you guys tuning in and uh, for Summer and Jesse to step up and, and serve while we were out of commission. Uh, they just did a, a fabulous job, and really thank you as well to all the worship guys and the great job they've done and to Royce and Armand, uh, their hearts to serve and help out. None of this would be possible without uh, all of these great hearts, people wanting to, to serve the Lord and, and serve the body. So really appreciate that uh, from everybody, and we appreciate you guys, uh, all the phone calls and the prayers and uh, the tuning in uh, the last few weeks to just the great job that Summer and Jesse did. Uh, thanks so much for that as well want to just let you know that next Sunday being Easter, we're going to try to uh, remember what Jesus did for us on the cross and uh, do communion together. And so we have these sealed uh, cups that, that we ordered up, and they will be just inside the door here at the church. If you want to swing by this week and, and grab a handful of those for you and your family uh, to do communion with us, if you don't have any matzah or in, unleavened bread at your house. Uh, you can swing by and grab that. If you can't do that and you want us to just drop it off or mail it, uh, just give us a call here at the church and we'll do that. Uh, we're trying to keep regular hours here on Tuesdays and Thursdays, especially in the afternoon, to be specifically available to uh, the body, any needs that you have. Uh, if you want to just get together and hang out and fellowship or pray, uh, if you need a ride, if you need groceries, uh, we would just count it a privilege to be able to uh, do any of those things as well. But be sure, if you can, to to pick up the, the elements for communion uh, either at the store or here at the church so that we can do that together uh, next Sunday. Also, um, just really grateful for all of the online work that, that Rhonda has done. Uh, and Summer. Summer's just poured her heart out. And quite frankly, she's a, a bit of a hero in this story. Um, when this all first started, we were down in Arizona, and my whole attitude was just to, to ignore it and uh, just go on doing church and, and, and do our thing. Uh, kind of, I'm old and crusty that way. Summer, on the other hand, had a lot better grip on what was really going on and uh, I'm so grateful for her heart and her willingness to step up and, and do what she did. She, just a real uh, game changer. Really appreciate it. So thank you for all your prayers while we were sick. And why don't we get into the Word here. We'll be in starting uh, Philippians t today. Uh, but before we do that, let's go to the Philippians story in Acts chapter 15 verse 36 and we'll get started father just thank you lord for your word uh, god it's so precious and lord it truly has the words of life for us and we we ask you holy spirit that you would be our teacher now that god uh, the things that we take away from this 
would further equip us for ministry in a, a world that's changing really quickly. And Lord, we just want to be led of your Spirit and uh, instructed by your Word. And we thank you so much for it. In Jesus' name, amen. The question is, how does Paul get to Philippi? And it's, a, it's an important question because unlike many of the other places where there was some, some tension and some discontent that went on, the Philippians seemed to have stuck by Paul through thick and thin. They were truly uh, a friend's friend to him. And he's so happy to have this, this loving koinonia relationship with them. And it's very instructive to look at how he ended up in Philippi. It wasn't his intention, but God always has a better plan. Uh, my son and I met with a pastor uh, down in southern Utah a few weeks back, and they're getting ready to, to organize some missions trips. And he asked us what were some of the things that were most important that we would uh, encourage him in when they do missions trips. And one of the things that my son said was that you never have to stick to the plan, uh, that you'll be sorely disappointed if you hand a trip over to God and then you go on that missions trip and it doesn't work out the way that you think it should or the direction that it's going. Uh, oftentimes, God has a whole nother plan and we've learned over the years to just roll with it. And he ends up with a lot better plan, a lot better outcome uh, than we ever will have in, in trying to uh, achieve our goals in a missions trip. This is much the same way for Paul. He and uh, Barnabas are talking about a second missionary journey now, and they're getting ready to head out from Antioch to go on this second missionary journey. In chapter 15, verse 36, it says, Then after some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we've preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches." So the whole trip starts out with a disagreement with these two brothers who did so well on the first missionary journey deciding to go their own ways. And it turns out to be a good thing because now there's two missionary journeys taking place, Barnabas and John Mark at Cyprus, uh, Paul and Silas heading over to Asia to do a work there where they had been previously in the first missionary journey. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He is well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So the whole story at Lystra started out in the first missionary journey when Paul was stoned to death there and hauled outside the city. And because of that, most likely because of that, there's a young disciple named Timothy who has believed 
because of the boldness of Paul, the Paul being raised back to life, apparently. And so now there's this young, fired-up believer there who the circumstances that brought him to the Lord were literally Paul's stoning. Verse 6, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so the Holy Spirit telling him, no, don't go south. No, don't go north. You're going to leave Asia. You're going to go to a whole new place called Europe and sends them on their way there, even though that had been no part of their plan. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace and the next day came to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. We sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia was there. They heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. And the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And then she and her household were baptized. She begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. So after all of this uh, instruction from the Lord about how to end up in Philippi, there's blessing. They find that there's no synagogue there, so the ladies are worshiping down by the river. It's actually a beautiful spot. I've been there in the past. Uh, And Paul uh, goes out there and delivers the gospel to them, and people are saved. The church is started in Philippi. Now it happens as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us, cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days, but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitudes rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing that prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do do yourself no harm, for we're all here. 
Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all that who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now, when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers, saying, Let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. But Paul said no to them. They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed, let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So that's the story of how the church is started in Philippi. Some things about how God directs us in these kinds of things as we we follow the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, Again, this church is super important to Paul. He had no idea that this is where he was headed. And the whole thing, again, starts with an argument between him and Barnabas. Uh, We're not going to take John Mark. Yes, we are. No, we're not. Yes, we are. And finally, they they split and go their own ways. God even using something like that to to glorify himself, to lead and guide uh, his followers. He gets to Lystra where Timothy was, and because of his previous stoning, again, something incredibly inconvenient, uh, Timothy is a believer. And he wants to go with Paul and Silas as well, so he is circumcised. They go out with the mandates from the Jerusalem Council and encourage the Gentiles all around the area. Now, they're forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go south in Asia. They're forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go north in Asia. Uh, But they have a vision of a man from Macedonia who pleads for them to come to Europe and and help them across the Aegean Sea. So it is now we, you may have noticed that it is now Luke is including himself in the conversation and he's using the words we and us instead of he. So we know that at this point Luke joined up as well. So now Paul has Timothy, he has Silas, and he has Luke. These are three fellows that are going to be incredibly loyal and incredibly important to Paul throughout the rest of his ministry. And I don't think he saw any of that coming with the exception of Silas before he ever left to go on his trip. So how does the Holy Spirit direct us? And guys, I really think that in this time that we're living right now with the whole coronavirus thing and all of that, that for us to be guided and directed by the Holy Spirit is as important as it's ever been. Um, God guides us through the scriptures. That's why it's so important for us to be students of the Word of God. God guides us through visions and prophecies via the Holy Spirit. He guides us through circumstances, like like even an argument or a stoning. Uh, Those things are things that He can use. He guides us through advice and the initiative of other believers in our lives. 
and he guides us through the direct guidance of the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts. No, don't go south. No, don't go north. You go across the sea to Macedonia. It's time to take the gospel to Europe. And so God used all of these things, all of these circumstances to get through to these guys how they were going to reach this place called Europe and specifically for our context today, uh, Philippi. This all only works with one simple big picture item in mind. You remember that Jesus started all of this about how we were to minister, how we were to be led, how we were to hear his voice by saying in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And as you guys know, so often we've discussed in Luke 11 that we are instructed by Jesus that the ultimate answer to prayer is to ask God our Father to fill us with the Holy Spirit. Because you see, all of these other things aren't going to mesh. They're not going to gel. Uh, they're not going to work out for us if we're not being led of the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit hasn't given us a confidence in Jesus that all kinds of circumstances like this can all be used for our good and for God's glory in our lives. And there needs to be that certainty today for you and for me that God truly is using us. God truly is wanting to fill us and use all of these things in our lives for his glory and for our good. And you see a lot of that happening right now with the, the uh, craziness in the world and the, the um, uncertainty in a lot of people's lives. I've never seen believers more convinced that God is on the throne and more convinced that God is in control and all kinds of opportunities for the gospel coming up just left and right as we put aside all of those things and walk in the Holy Spirit, walk in the joy of the Lord, as Paul's going to tell the Philippians. Paul sacrificed a lot. He went through a lot to see his friends in Philippi come to Jesus, and we need to be willing to do that as well. And the reason that Paul could do that is because he was convinced that he wasn't of this world, but that he was of a kingdom that was not seen, a kingdom that is going to be eternal, and it's the same for us. This is a great opportunity for us to take our eyes off of all the material things that distract us. Uh, so much has been pulled out from underneath us. We think that tomorrow will always be the same, that the sun will come up and, and nothing ever going to happen, and yet all of a sudden here we have this, this really glaring example of how quickly life can turn and how quickly even the life of the planet can turn. Uh, it's amazing. And to have Jesus in the midst of that, to have the Lord using the circumstances in our lives and speaking to our hearts so that he can touch the world through us, through simple vessels like us, is the most incredible privilege there, there ever has been. Let's go to Philippians chapter 1. So a few things to take note of before we 
jump into these this little short letter, four chapters. Um, Paul is writing this letter 12 years later from a Roman prison. Um, he started his relationship with them in prison there in Philippi with the Philippian jailer and his whole family getting saved. And yet here we find Paul again uh, in a Roman jail after that third or, if you will, fourth missionary journey in a Roman prison ship. Uh, shipwrecked off Malta and all of the other things, bitten by a serpent. God using so many things and so many hardships, really, in his life to get him to this place where he can be so mightily uh, used of the Lord. And now he's in this Roman prison again, writing back to the Philippians 12 years after starting the church, as we just read in the book of Acts. And we'll start in verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. And you guys know what bondservants are. Those are people who are servants by choice. That when it was time for the servants to be released, if they decided that they liked their master and they liked living at their master's house and they they wanted to continue to serve there and, and allow him to be their master, it was their choice to have the all driven through their ear and put on that ring that would say, I'm a servant by choice. And that's how Paul and Timothy are, and they're, in, they're writing this letter back to their, their friends in Philippi 11 or 12 years later, that we are choosing to be bondservants of Jesus. We like living in his house. We like serving him. We like taking his instruction and allowing him to be our God. Verse 2 or excuse me, the second half of verse 1, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. So here we see now again, 11 or 12 years later, that there's structure within the church. It was just Lydia and the ladies by the river and the, the Philippian jailer and no doubt some of the prisoners that got saved that first go around with Paul. But now the church has increased, and it needs structure, and so they actually have bishops or elders and deacons uh, in place there to, to run the church. So he's writing to them, verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've talked about this many times, guys, but it's always the same. So you see Paul starting this greeting in his letters, that it is grace and then peace, and never peace and then grace. Because you see, you cannot, you will not uh, experience the peace of God without first accepting, receiving, and experiencing the grace of God. This free gift where Jesus says, I love you. I've died for all of your sin, past, present, and future. And I rose from the dead on the third day to prove that I am the God of life and death, heaven and hell, God of the universe. And you can be my bondservant. You can be my son, my daughter. And it's a free gift of grace. Nothing to do to earn it except to receive it. And suddenly when I'm born again of the Holy Spirit, then I have peace with God. The war that I waged with God the first 23 years of my life was over. And now I have peace with my Father in heaven. And I want to be his bondservant. I want to serve him the rest of my life just as you do as well. Verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy 
for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So he's so thankful for these folks, and they've really stuck by him. They've helped him financially. They've encouraged him repeatedly over the last decade or so as he's been serving uh, out in the mission field. And he doesn't ever have a time like he did with the Corinthians or some of the others to have to defend his apostleship or defend his service to the Lord. These guys have stayed true blue. They're his friends to the end. Uh, There's just that, that peace and that koinonia between them that he just loves. And that's why he says, I'm so thankful every time I remember you guys and every time I pray for you, I just love what we have, the fellowship that we have together from the very first day, 12 years ago, until now. Verse 6, being confident of this, this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. We're all in this boat together. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to his glory and praise of God. Paul is confident that this work that he saw God start in these people so many years before is going to be completed and that these guys are going to bear the fruit of righteousness. They're going to touch people's lives for Jesus, and they're going to uh, shine for the Lord as time goes by. And he's so grateful for that relationship for them. And as most of you guys know, you know, when you lead somebody to Jesus or you watch your kids come to the Lord, it's your great blessing to watch them serve the Lord, to watch them have a relationship with Jesus. There's no greater blessing than to have your children in the faith, whether they be biological kids or not, uh, just surrendering to the Lord and loving and, and serving him. It's a great blessing. And that's, that's how he feels about these guys. Verse 12, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. A lot of things have happened in the last 10, 11, 12 years in Paul's life. He's been on a third missionary journey. He's, he's been arrested in Jerusalem. He's had 40 guys vow to kill him. He's been on a prison ship and, and been shipwrecked more than once. And as I said earlier, bitten by a serpent and all those kinds of things. And he feels like even though now he's in Rome and he's under house arrest in Rome, he's waiting to see Caesar, not really certain about what his future will be. And of course, we all know with hindsight that eventually, not after this first time with Caesar, but the second time, uh, he will be beheaded for the gospel. But he is not of a certainty right now about those things, but he is certain of one thing. He is certain that everything that's happened to him has turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And I know that we've kind of ran through this very quickly, but you think about all the things that we've covered just in the, the saga concerning Philippi. Uh, lots of things have happened. And Paul doesn't see it as, 
oh, woe is me, or, or I'm so beat up, or I'm so tired, or anything like that. He sees it as good stuff. He sees that it's actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And guys, we're going to read in a minute about this uh, assurance that we have about God's love and about God's desire to fill us with His Spirit so that all of the things that happen to you and to me are, are for the furtherance of the gospel, that God is using the, everything, the, the good and the bad, the difficult and the easy, the blessings and the hardships are all for a purpose. They're all for a reason. And you can look at Romans 8, 28, and he verifies that, you know, that scripturally it doesn't matter what happens to somebody who's called by God. It's all for our good and for his glory. And Paul is, is, is certain of that. Verse 13, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. So he thinks that this is all for the furtherance of the gospel. And even though he's under arrest yet again, uh, even the palace guard, uh, Nero's household, they all see that his chains are from Christ, that he's under arrest serving the Lord, and he has such a joy about doing what he's doing and knowing that he's doing it for the Lord. And most of the brethren in the Lord, have, uh, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And guys, this is really important because boldness is contagious. It, it's infectious. Uh, I've shared a story in the past about a, one of the most courageous Christian people I've ever seen. It was a, a young mom down in Boise, Idaho. Uh, about 30 years ago, we'd been rescuing, uh, picketing abortion clinics. And uh, they arrested 17 people uh, out in front of a clinic. And when they came into court, they had these 17 people lined up. The courtroom was absolutely packed. And you could just feel the tension in the air, the spiritual warfare, as the Christians were praying. You could also see that the uh, prosecutor and the judge had, of course, compared notes, and they had a plan. And they were very uh, arrogant and, and uh, really thought they had control of this whole thing. And so this, this young mom, uh, who ha actually had a nursing baby uh, and a few other toddlers, uh, they called her first and had her come up and, and sit at the table in front of the judge. And he, they had worked out a deal. And he told her that she was going to go to jail for 90 days. And she was quietly weeping as she's hearing this, I'm sure uh, wondering about her children and what would happen to her nursing child and all the rest. Her husband was there. He was very upset. And we were all just praying like crazy. And again, you could just cut the tension, the spiritual tension in the room with a knife. And so the judge very forcefully told her that uh, if she would promise to never picket or rescue uh, at an abortion clinic again, that he would let her go. If she would not make that promise, then she was going to do 90 days in the, the county lockup there at Ada County, Idaho. And the heaviness of this moment, I, I really can't even describe it, but she put her, her head down on the desk in front of her, and for probably a full minute, it was just quiet in the room, and the judge was very snarky, very arrogant, really thought that he had the whole thing under control. 
And this young Christian mom, um, probably the last person you would choose to stand up uh, like this via the boldness of Jesus in her heart, the boldness of the Holy Spirit. She lifted her head up off of the desk and she said, I guess I'm going to jail. And the judge, the only way I can describe it is, it was like you'd blown up a balloon completely full of air as tight as it would go. And as soon as she said that, it was like letting the balloon go and all over the room because the air just came out of him. And he didn't know what to do or what to say, except that, okay, you're going to jail for 90 days. But what happened was her boldness, her courage in the Lord was so infectious because the other 16 men that came behind her, every one of them, louder, stronger, bolder, I'm going to jail, I'm going to jail, I'm going to jail. And they sentenced all 17 of those people to 90 days in jail. Uh, Kind of a fun aside to all of this is that uh, they got them back there and the jail was full and they had to let them all go. And they, in fact, did not go to jail. And so boldness in the Lord is contagious. It's infectious. We, again, need to be praying to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we need to see even adversity as opportunities for the God who's who's bigger the God who is able, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And he's so able to overcome these things and that the people around him have become confident by Paul's chains. And that's made them more bold in speaking out, speaking the word uh, without fear. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, since sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Paul doesn't care who gets the credit. He has this heart for the Lord that he doesn't even care about the guys who are, are preaching, uh, and being competitive with his preaching and kind of have that, that look at me thing going on. He doesn't care. He just is glad that Christ is preached. That's all that matters to him. A.W. Tozer addressed this um, by writing this, Dear Lord, I refuse henceforth to compete with any of thy servants. They have congregations larger than mine, so be it. I rejoice in their success. They have greater gifts. Very well. That is not in their power nor in mine. I am humbly grateful for their greater gifts and my smaller ones. I only pray that I may use to thy glory such modest gifts as I possess. I will not compare myself with any, nor try to build up my self-esteem by noting where I may excel one or another in thy holy work. I herewith make a blanket disavowal of all intrinsic worth. I am but an unprofitable servant. I gladly go to the foot of the cross and own myself the least of thy people. If I err in my self-judgment and actually underestimate myself, I I do not want to know it. I purpose to pray for others and to rejoice in their prosperity as if it were my own. And indeed, 
It is my own if it is thine own, for what is thine is mine. And while one plants and another waters, it is you alone that gives the increase. So A.W. Tozer had Paul's heart that he doesn't care who's doing the preaching. He doesn't care who gets the accolades. There's no uh, drawing men to himself. I once had a pastor tell me that the way that you know you're doing ministry right is when you're trying to point people past you to Jesus. And you don't want them to, for a second, to make a pit stop on your doorstep. You want them to be looking wholly and completely at the Lord, and you want to remove yourself. As John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase. And this is Paul's heart, even in prison, even with these guys being competitive in their preaching with him, he doesn't care. He's just glad that Christ is preached. Right heart. Verse 19, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers, through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Again, their prayers and the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul needs. It's what's required. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by my life or by my death. It's up to Jesus. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul's realizing that martyrdom's probably coming around the corner for him. And to him, he, he, to live as Christ, to be here and serve the Lord is a great thing. But to die is gain. To go literally be in the presence of Jesus uh, is a great thing. And you remember at Lystra when Paul was stoned, he talked later about going to heaven and that he couldn't utter the things that he had seen. It would be wrong to do that. So he's had a little taste of heaven. He has an assurance that we can take to the bank as well, that Heaven is going to be fabulous. And this little vapor of a life that we live here, we need to live it for Jesus. We need to live it in boldness and in love and in humility that God's kingdom is is magnified and grown so that heaven is what really matters. It's where our citizenship really is. And that's what Paul was banking on. Verse 22, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, and it is better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. So, He's saying that he knows that he's going to be sticking around a while longer, that God's going to leave him here, and it will be for their benefit because he, he wants to serve them as he serves the Lord. But as we know, it won't be too many years going forward that he'll be rearrested again and will end up being a martyr. That your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I think that Paul isn't just writing this to the church at Philippi. He's writing it to all of us. That considering all of these things that, that has been pointed out by the Holy Spirit through the word, that, that serving the Lord isn't necessarily convenient. That serving the Lord can be really great and it can be really hard. But that if our citizenship is in heaven and our leading is the Holy Spirit and our instruction is the word of God, then 
that's what's going to matter for throughout eternity. And that blips in the road like the one we're experiencing now are nothing to worry about, that we can trust Jesus with everything. So he's telling them, he's telling you, he's telling me, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God to be fearless in the face of the adversary like that young mom in Boise is, is everything. We can trust the Lord in every situation. For to you it is granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And Christians, um, here's a little taste. Uh, again, I don't think that the world and probably most of the church, myself included, thought that the world could change. Everything could change so quickly. And yet here we are, a wake-up call from God that we really do need to trust him and not trust in ourselves or in this world and that we need to be willing to suffer for his sake. That's the words of the Apostle Paul, that there may be difficulties just like Paul has had so many difficulties, but we suffer for Christ and we count it all joy. We count it a blessing to serve him in every way having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. And they're hearing it from the household of Caesar of all places, the, the seat of power, the place he was told he would go to testify before kings, and here he is all these years later doing just that. Really love you guys and really miss you all. And look forward to, we're already planning a big celebration for the day that we're all able to come back together in fellowship. Uh, in the meantime, just thank you so much, guys, for the love and the koinonia that we have together. I just thank the Lord. I thank the Holy Spirit for the blessing that, that you guys all are uh, to each and every one of us. And I encourage you that this is an opportunity to pray to be filled with the Spirit, to keep my nose buried in the Word. I, many of the distractions that that kept us distracted before are, are gone now. Uh, we don't have a lot of the things going on that may have kept us out of the word or out of prayer previously or out of going to a neighbor's to share the gospel. And here is this golden opportunity to shine for the Lord. And I just encourage you all to keep up the good work. And God bless you all. Father, thank you, Lord, again for your word. Thank you for your body. And Jesus asks that you would just forgive our sin, fill us with your spirit, and use us, God, for your glory in every way that you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen.
Tears of joy roll down my 